Hey y'all, my name is Hannah Pye. I'm a pastor and a colleague of Drew's. I'm originally from Tallahassee, Florida, where I served in a variety of ministry roles and settings as a lay person before moving to the Atlanta area in July of 2022 to start my first pastoral appointment. While serving my local church, I've also spent the past two years completing my MDiv, my Master of Divinity, at Candler School of Theology. Starting this fall, I will begin work at the doctorate level, my demon studies with Duke Divinity School. I'm a lifelong United Methodist with particular interests in worship practice, Wesleyan theology, and the social gospel. I'm thrilled that Drew has invited me to join you all to share a snippet of one of my most recent sermons with you. All biblical references in this message today come from the NRSV Updated Edition. For more information about the UMC's beliefs when it comes to God's grace and salvation and making all things new, there will be a link to a brief but helpful article in the show notes. This sermon was originally preached as a part of the lectionary cycle, year B, on the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, wherein the gospel text was Mark 1, 29 through 39. For our podcast purposes today, I'm really going to be focusing and honing in on those first few verses, Mark 1, 29 through 34. I invite you now to center yourself for a reading of the gospel according to Mark. Hear now the word of God. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and and cast out many demons. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we might hear with joy what you have to say to each and every one of us today. Amen. I love that the Gospel of Mark, especially in this first chapter, provides us with these clear, concise episodes, very easy to follow. In order to fully unpack our scripture excerpt today, I think it can be helpful to situate it in the greater narrative thus far. Mark 1 begins with John the Baptist declaring his message and preparing the way for the Messiah. Then immediately we have the baptism of Jesus, followed by the testing of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. Coming out of this period of fasting and isolation, Jesus calls his very first disciples— First, Mark tells us that he calls Simon and his brother Andrew down by the shore as they're fishing. Then a little further down the shore, he comes across James and John, and he calls them to leave their father and their nets and and to join in his mission as well. Then the very next thing that this group of men does is they approach the synagogue in Capernaum on the Sabbath day. This is where we get the story of Jesus teaching the crowds and healing the man with the unclean spirit on the Sabbath day. That leads us to our story now, today. This is why our excerpt begins with the statement, as soon as they left the synagogue to kick off our reading. It it takes us straight out of the previous episode into the episode that we're at today. Now, the close relationship between these stories serves as an excellent reminder 
that Mark places this story of Andrew and Simon bringing Jesus back to their family home just a few short verses after they're initially called. It feels like these disciples just met this guy, or at least they just agreed to give up their livelihood and and follow him. He goes and he teaches and he drives out some demons on the Sabbath, making a little bit of a stink, perhaps. (laughs) And then we find ourselves here, headed to Simon Peter and Andrew's home. These men had really just begun this journey, and we learn that Simon Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. Now, for us today, a fever might be nothing. A fever is maybe a a signal to stay away from other people, but I would doubt that most of us would begin making our funeral arrangements because we have a head cold or or a 99-degree temp. However, that would not have likely been the case for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. In this same story, as it's told in the Gospel according to Luke, she's described as having a great fever or a high fever, depending on what translation you're reading. But even regardless of the severity, we can all imagine that a fever must have been no joke back in these days. Up until very recently in human history, in fact, any illness, even what we would consider to be a mild one today, could have been totally, totally life-threatening. So I like to imagine Peter, who's just agreed to follow this nomadic rebel preacher, (laughs) watches him cast out this demon in the synagogue, and then maybe he begins to think of his family, perhaps his wife, his kids, and and his mother-in-law, who's laid up in bed with a life-threatening sickness. I just watched this man cast out a demon. I wonder if he has any tricks when it comes to fevers. Now, I often lament, even though I love the clear episodes that Mark gives us, it kind of reads like a bullet journal. Mark reads kind of like a simple record of activity. There aren't very many details, and there's certainly no bend for fantastical storytelling. I often tell my congregation that if you want the big screen or the HBO version of this story with all the details that you could want, you're better off looking in the other Gospels that have that same story. Mark is simply a reporter. So in perfect Markian fashion, he tells us in one sentence in verse 30 that Simon Peter's mother-in-law has a fever and that they told Jesus about it at once. In the very next sentence in verse 31, We see that Jesus immediately comes, takes her by the hand, and lifts her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve him. No fanfare, just the facts. That's Mark. But the author paints a picture for us afterwards of business as usual. We don't see immediately that the word began to spread of this healing, like in some of the other stories in Mark. In fact, we're left to assume that Maybe no one was there, except for Peter's family and these first-named disciples. We don't get an itemized list of any other characters that were in the room. What we do see unfolding is kind of curious. Even though we don't get this typical notification that the word began to spread, we see in the very next verse that that same day at sundown, the whole town shows up with all their afflicted in tow. Perhaps they had heard all about yesterday's activities down at the synagogue. 
Scripture says that the people have brought all their sick, their possessed, all their loved ones who are in need of healing. The whole city seems to be gathered around Simon Peter's front door. And in response, Jesus gets to work. He starts curing people, folks who are sick with various diseases and spiritual issues. He starts taking care of business. This first half of our story is very interesting, particularly for me, the part about Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I heard another pastor one time pose a, a great question in response to this passage. They asked, of all the miracles in the Gospels, all the ones that we have and all the ones that we're told didn't quite make the cut, why do we have this story? We know that every single one of Jesus' miracles didn't make it into the four canonical Gospels, that, that there were some that were cut, that were left behind. So of all the stories that we have and all the ones that were left out, why do we have this story? Healing a fever was no small feat, but, but Jesus heals a paralyzed man in front of a whole crowd, a whole house filled with people, so full to the point that no one can even walk in the front door. He goes on to multiply the fish and the loaves in front of four and five thousand men, along with all the women and children that were gathered. He does pretty spectacular things, arguably more visible and quote-unquote important things than this. Why do we have this story? Why do we have it in all three of the synoptic gospel accounts? Why is it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in every story but John's? Why? What about Peter's mother-in-law is so special? We don't even know her name. Well, I think one of the reasons this could be here actually has very little to do with the mother-in-law or, or Peter or anyone else, really. I think it's significant that before Jesus begins healing the masses, before he takes on droves of sick people, restoring them in public, visible spaces, he heals a woman that society probably deemed unimportant in private. He heals a nameless woman when no one's even there to witness. Before he walks on water in front of multiple witnesses, before he heals the crippled man or the bleeding woman in front of the crowds, before he turns water into wine at the public wedding, before he raises a man from the dead in front of all the faithful Jewish people that have gathered, he slips in to a back room and he takes a sick woman's hand and he raises her to new life. And what do we see immediately? We see what, what one might interpret as a desire to avoid the fame, to avoid the accolades. We see a spirit of privacy and humility. Jesus' healing ministry was not about becoming famous or well-known or any of the things that you and I might be tempted by if we had those kinds of abilities, right? He wasn't trying to monetize this ministry or grab after any sort of worldly authoritarian power. He simply came to witness to himself and to the one who sent him. He came to show people that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. 
He came to show us that the upside down kingdom, where the last become first, where, where the God of the universe actually cares about the people that society doesn't care for. The God of the universe cares for the nameless women in the back room. He came to witness to the powerful, restorative powers of God. Jesus came and healed in part to show the world that salvation is not something that is simply reserved for the afterlife. Salvation is not a prize to be won when we die. Salvation is here and now. The kingdom of heaven is here and now. And that has real, tangible implications that shows up in measurable ways. God is wanting to make things new. God is making all things new right now. He's wanting to raise each of us to new life, to new beginnings. And that's not just reserved for when we die. As United Methodist Christians, we believe that the eternal life that God offers us begins here and now. We, we have the chance to receive God's grace, to be assured of our forgiveness, and with the Holy Spirit, we can work to overcome our sins, to move beyond these things that separate us from God, right? I hate the idea that healing this separation that humanity has experienced isn't possible for us until we die. I cannot imagine a God who only offers this opportunity to receive real salvation now to the people that lived during Jesus's earthly ministry. No, friends, this, this is an opportunity that extends so far beyond Peter's mother-in-law. This is an invitation to new life that is offered to each and every one of us. The hand that was extended to Peter's mother-in-law is extended to you, and it's extended to me. The, the chance to find new life, that grace, that mercy, it is new every morning. So where might you see yourself in this text? Maybe you see yourself as Peter's mother-in-law. Are you in desperate need of new beginnings? Are you scared to accept it, even if you know it's being offered freely? Do you feel unworthy to receive such a gift? Or perhaps you feel like Christ has taken your hand and raised you to new life and new beginnings. In that case, what does that mean for you? What would it mean for you to share that good news and, and to live into that calling with others around you? Or perhaps maybe you feel inspired by Jesus' example of slipping into the private back room and performing miracles without expecting a lick of credit or a single accolade. Maybe God is eager to use you to offer new life to someone in real tangible ways as the hands and feet, the body of Christ. Perhaps that's what's convicting you here and now. Whatever it is, I pray now again. Lord, continue to open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures were read and wrestled with on this day, as your word is proclaimed, help us to hear with joy what you have to say to each and every one of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people say, Amen.